Well, hello everyone and welcome. It's good to see everybody again. If you're a, I want to give a special warm welcome to anybody who might be a guest with us. Maybe you're kind of new around here. I just want to say welcome. We love to say at Mountain, uh, this is for everybody. It's absolutely for everyone. So wherever you may be, uh, you know, and your sort of exploration or journey with God, you might be brand new to this. Uh, you might be one of the peop- the 200 some people that were baptized, and you're trying to figure out what your next steps are. Or maybe you're someone who's stuck in your faith, or maybe you're just trying to even figure out if this whole thing is even true. We're really glad you're here. Uh, you're coming in at a great time. We're kicking off a new series uh, today, and uh, I can't wait to get started, so let's do that. You know, my daughter, Ellie, a lot of you know Ellie. She grew up here and graduated from college recently. She just completed three months uh, working in Spain, of all things, uh, working as an au pair, if you know what that is. She worked with a, lived with a family and uh, kind of took care of the educational needs of some of the kids there. And um, I just felt like as parents, we would be irresponsible. Just like, what kind of parents would we be if we didn't go visit our kids? What would, do, don't you agree? So that's exactly what we did uh, last week. And uh, actually this week, we went and visited her. And, uh, you know, I don't have a whole travelogue for you, but we got to meet her family. They're wonderful people. Uh, we got to hang out with them. And actually stayed for cheap, free. I mean, I got to visit with them. Uh, it was great. Uh, we, we toured some of the sites in Madrid. If you've ever been to Madrid, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I've got a thousand pictures. I'll show you two. We went to places called Cordoba, or they say, Cordo- or they say Cordoba. We say Cordova. Uh, Sevilla or Seville. Uh, we even went down to Portugal because her, her visa expired from Spain, so we had to leave. So we went next door to Portugal and got a just beautiful place. Um, I've, I've never been to that part of the world. I don't travel. To, I've never really traveled in Europe other than when the church sent us to, to Greece uh, a few years back for our 20th anniversary. So, you know, that, that was... Uh, how many of you like to travel? Do you like to travel? Any of you at home? Yeah, huh? um, Wherever you're joining us from, uh, at, at any of our campuses uh, and at home, uh, I, I want to I change the, the question for you, okay, a little bit. Just listen to, to a new question. Where are you going? Okay. So, so regardless of, of whether, you, whether we're talking now about physical destinations or maybe some summer, summer travel plans, I, I, I mean, where are you going in your life? And I, I guess I mean it even in a deeper way than like your career or your financial future that maybe you're thinking about or anything like that, but rather a, a deeper way of saying what, what direction are you headed. Maybe let's, let's add a question to it that will bring it to life a little more. Who are you becoming? Because that answers the question where you're going, doesn't it? Like, who are you becoming? What kind of things are at work inside of you? There are certain qualities that are forming inside of all of us, certain character traits that are growing and certain character traits that are shrinking all the time. We're in process. That, and that reveals that stuff that's happening inside of us that answers the question who you're becoming. You're going to be something. We're all in process. None of us just sits here as static And what's inside of us determines where you end up in life, where you're going, who you become. Let's add a third question that will make it even more real. Another way to ask it is just like this. What are you full of? Now, I know there's a lot of creative ways we might come up with answering that question. But, you know, the truth is a lot of us are, are full of all kinds of things. Some of us are full of fear, I think. I see a lot of that. I see a lot of uh, anger. A lot of us are full of anger. A lot of us are full of, uh, of maybe some despair. 
I think some people are full of pride. I think some, some of us are just full of ourselves. We're full of a lot of self. At a deep soul level, I, I, I think it's true to say that everybody's full of something. And here's the deal. It's actually not that hard to tell. It's not. Because whatever's inside of you is visible on the outside. Now, we can hide that and protect ourselves and, and kind of fake it to make it for a little while. But there's a principle that's 100% true all the time. It actually comes from Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse 16, he says, you can identify a person by their fruit. You can just tell. It's by the way they act, in other words, is what he's saying. The fruit's what comes off the tree. It tells you, oh, that's a banana tree, that's an orange tree, that's an apple tree. You can tell what kind of tree it is. All you got to do is look at the fruit. If you want to know what's going on inside, like who they are, where they're going, you just look at the fruit, how they act, what they live. And Jesus says that, that fruit. And he goes on to say, you know, if, if, you, if you've got a thorn bush on your hands, you're not going to expect to get like nice sweet grapes out of it. If you've got a thistle bush, you're not going to say, oh, let's pull some figs off of that. It doesn't work that way. He's on to say in verse 17, he says, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. It's just the way it is. And the same thing that happens in horticulture, he says, happens in our lives. He says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't eat. Even if it wanted to, it couldn't produce good fruit. Yet, yes, just as you identify a tree by its fruit, you can also identify people by their actions. Carla and I were just talking about this the other day. Um, I pointed out that when I, when I am most short-fused with her or anyone else, when, I'm most, when I get angry and I kind of fly off the handle, I kind of have identified it's usually when, I'm oper when I feel kind of insecure about something. There's something going on on the inside. What comes out? The fruit of anger. It doesn't take much to push my buttons when I'm not in a good... When, but when I'm feeling more secure and just like, I'm okay here. I don't feel attacked or as defensive. Maybe you're the same way. When, when I have feelings of jealousy to someone, um, you peel back one layer and it's just there's pride right there. You can see it's just right there. It's not that hard to tell. All you got to do is look at the fruit and you'll feel, oh, that, 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 uh, that envy there, oh, that's a pride tree. It's pretty easy to see. Or maybe someone who has trouble with relationships. Sometimes it's just because down inside, they're unable to love themselves or they're focused on themselves too much. Or I, I don't know, but the, you see the point? What, what, what about you? Whatever, what's going on on the inside of you? Because it's always going to be revealed in your actions ultimately. And answer those questions. Where are you going? Who are you becoming? What are you full of? So, um, Scripture, uh, whether you're talking about Jesus or, or the Apostle Paul, as we're going to dive into here uh, soon, says that when you, when you say yes to Jesus, as a, as a Christian does, you say yes to following Christ, you accept him as your Lord, you say, I need you to forgive me. Uh, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a gift. And that gift is his ongoing presence in our lives. Like Jesus in the present tense, the living Jesus, takes up residence and lives with us. He, he, it's, an, it's, a, it's called the Holy Spirit. And it's the gift of the Spirit which is given to us to help us have the power to overcome the struggles we need to, to become more like Jesus. And this is not some special gift for certain kinds of rare breed Christians who are like a cut above or something like that. The Bible makes it clear that every Christian receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Read Acts 2.38. It says that when you're baptized in water, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
It's not some separate later thing. The Spirit of God takes up residence in a person and is the ability of God to speak and nudge and convict and urge. The Holy Spirit is that gift inside of us that can comfort us when we're really just broken. It can convict us when we need to make a tough decision. We're wrestling between right and wrong. It, it, it can counsel us when we're confused. And that prompting, nudging, is God alive inside of us. It's the Holy Spirit. And when you say yes to Jesus, he gives you a gift in return. It's called the Holy Spirit. Now, one time, I recently found a gift card that someone had given me. I hope it wasn't you. Years and years ago, but I never spent it. I never took my family out. I never did anything with it. So did I really receive that gift? I, I think that there are times in my life and maybe in your life, and I think in a lot of people's lives, that we treat the Holy Spirit the same way. It's a gift that's given, but I, it's, like a, it's like a gift card that's never used. And then we wonder why we struggle when we turn our Christian life into us on our own power trying to do a bunch of things that look good to us or someone else instead of really getting at the who am I becoming, what's going on inside of me, and where am I going in my life. Jesus gives you the Holy Spirit, and you can accept that gift. You can invite that spirit to dwell in you so that more of Jesus comes into you and you can look more like Jesus so that spirit then begins to kind of like an inner uh, 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 part of your brain begins to guide you, shape you, help you think and make decisions or you can reject it and turn away from the spirit of God. The Bible actually says these words. It says you can quench the Holy Spirit. That means it's like, it's like turn it off. You can deny it. You can stifle it. The Bible says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Like it's a it's, a, it's the person of Christ himself. It's the Holy Spirit. And you can, I know, I, I know I've done this, where it's almost like Jesus is knocking at the door of my heart, and I'm just like, turn up the music, draw the blinds. I don't want to deal with it right now because I want to go the way that my natural proclivities want to take me in that moment instead. And I grieve the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've done the same. So you can be full of the Spirit of God. You can listen and lean in, or you can say No. And how you decide about that gift, whether you want your Christian life to be like going through the motions and performing some external rituals to please yourself or someone else, or whether you want to really have freedom and full life in Christ is determined by what you say about the gift of the Spirit to help you walk in the Spirit, be guided by the Spirit, and that's the answer to your question about where you're going and who you're becoming and what's inside of you. So we're going to do a deep dive in a passage of Scripture out of the book of Galatians. It's Galatians chapter 5 over the next few weeks, and it's going to help us all see what we're full of. And it's going to help. Here's the thing. Here's my promise. It's going to help you become the person God wants you to become, the person you want to become, and the person everyone who knows you is hoping you will become. Okay? That's what we're going to do over the next few weeks together. It's a, how to become more full of Jesus, his spirit, and so we can see the actions, the real fruit, come out. So the famous list we're going to look at is called the fruit of the spirit. You probably guessed by now. Some of you know your Bibles a little bit. Um, we actually looked at this passage of scripture years ago, um, and we had a little fun with it. Some of you old timers will remember, Kirk and Luke, who are still on our team here, pastors here, they got silly and got into some fruit suits. Does anybody remember all that? I don't remember how many years ago it was. I tried to put it out of my mind, but then we found this video, which now I'm going to curse you with. Enjoy the video from several years ago. Go ahead and watch the screen. Don't even matter how hard you try. You can't do the 
Okay, well, so there's a reason why we, why we didn't ask them to put those suits back on again. Uh, we're still trying to live that one down. Uh, so we like to have some fun around here. But the, the subject matter of this chapter is actually really serious stuff. It really is uh, about the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the whole kind of big picture. So Galatians is a book uh, written by Paul to some people in a place called Galatia, who, and it's all kind of about their freedom in Christ. So they had come out of Judaism, which had, of course, as you know, maybe a lot of laws and rituals and rules for them to follow as a way of, of, of pleasing God. But then Je they, they placing their faith in Jesus Christ allowed them to receive the gift of grace. And the good news is that they were set free from that. They were no longer enslaved to legalism, following all the rules, no longer enslaved to the desires of just doing whatever they wanted to do, but they were set free in Christ. But the problem is... Some of them kind of knew that up here, but they had reverted back to the old religious ways. You ever heard of that happening? Where someone's like, I know in my head it's about gift, but I'm really going to try to still work it out and do my religion the old-fashioned way. And that's what's going on here. They're going back to laws and rules and religion. They were paying attention to the external behaviors and keeping up appearance, being religious enough to please God in their own mind. But that way they could say, well, and also I'm free in Christ and I can live however I want. So Paul pleads with them and says, man, think about what you're doing. Think about what you're giving up. You ever, you ever driven a car that was out of alignment? You know, when you're going down the road, you just kind of, all of a sudden, if you let go, it just kind of wants to pull to the left because the wheels are just, something bent in the frame or the wheels are out of alignment. You let go, it's going to like, boom, take you right off. It just has this pull and you kind of, you have to constantly fight it, don't you? Just got, if you let go one second, it's like, there it goes. And the Bible says that's how our lives are. That, that every single one of us drives a car that's got sort of a bent frame up front. That, that the, the straight, beautiful, pure tr path that God created for us is something that he still desires for us, but that now because of sin, it's like the whole world hit a pothole and everything's out of alignment now. And so if you let go for one second, it's like, boo, we just all veer off into danger or into the ditch. That, that's, that's what Paul then goes on to describe as um, that pull, he calls it like an innate desire that's in everybody. That's, it feels natural, like you don't have to do anything. You just let it go. But it leads someplace bad. It seems good at the time. And this, he says, is exactly what's going on in our lives and in the spirit of the age. He says, the world around us, stuff looks good. Our thoughts and feelings have just left to themselves. There's a way that seems right Man, it isn't. He calls it the flesh as opposed to the spirit. He calls it the, our sinful nature as opposed to letting God guide us. He calls it, he calls it our, 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 our sinful nature that's a kind of a root of sinful self-interest that's baked inside of each one of us that pulls us off track. And he's saying, I know you just want to let go of the wheel and go where you want to go, and it feels like so much work sometimes to hold on. But he says, I'm, I'm urging you. He says, trust me. Real freedom is found not in just going wherever your 
desires and natural self want to take you. But instead, your best, good, joyful, beautiful life is going to happen when you let the Spirit give you enough power to hold on to the wheel and follow the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, be guided by the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. And that's the idea. So let's look at this passage together, and I'm going to warn you, this is not like bumper sticker verses like, oh, that's a cute little one, I'll, I'll reflect, you know, this is like a whole series, it's an whole argument, it's a whole sort of flow. So we're going to look at several verses together, so put your big boy girls and pants on, okay, let's go, let's look into the Bible, so get your Bible out if you have an app or whatever, or you want to follow on the screen, here we go, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, here he says, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, that's what you've got when you got Jesus, you got freedom. But don't use that freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Well, I'm free. I'm just going to do whatever I want. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on in verse 16 to say, So I say, therefore, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. It's like you've got to decide you're going to let it go or you're going to try to hold the wheel. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions, even though we might want to. Verse 19 and following says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. It's going to bear some fruit, he says. And then he lists the fruit. When you, when you just let the thing go, follow your natural desires, it's very clear. And he, lists, he gives a whole bunch of examples. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, Selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. See how many of them have to do with how we get along with each other. Drunkenness, trying to fill something with, with a need. Wild parties and other sins like these. And then he says, uh, let me tell you again as I have before that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. A couple quick notes. That's not an exhaustive list of all the things that are bad that we can do or something like that. It's a sampling of the kind of fruit that comes out of our life when we live by our own selfish desires and just do whatever we feel like doing and we get swept along with the spirit of the age and let go of the wheel. And he's also not talking about the person that wants to follow God but makes a mistake or succumbs to temptation or slips into sin. Someone who wants to honor God but just is having trouble and messes up not talking about that. He's talking about those who make a habit, who choose this routinely so that this is who, in fact, they're choosing to become. And these kind of things are just inconsistent with the kingdom of God, and it won't get you where you want to go. Now, I believe every one of us already knows that this is true. That list may sound extreme, but you, you peel back what every one of them really comes down to, and every one of us has been guilty of every single one of them. Things that we feel in the moment like are the right thing, and we do. But we end up regretting it, feeling horrible and empty at the end. Listen to that list again in another translation of Scripture, and just let it really, really wrestle with this, okay? Let me, just, let me just read it in the message this time. You ready? It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. 
when you follow that sinful nature, that just sort of, I'm going to do what I want to do. Well, repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on, he says. I think that brings it home for us, doesn't it? Verse 22 says, what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. The NLT says it this way, verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives that looks like this. And then he lists it. Will you read these with me, please? Let's start right here. Ready? This is the fruit. This is what comes out when you let the Spirit in. Let's read it together. Ready? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Could anyone use any more of that in their life? God wants that for you. You want that for you. And everybody you know hopes that's who you become, that that's where you're going, that that's what you get filled with. And there's no law against any of that. Okay? That's his point. So where are you going? Who are you becoming? And what are you full of as you think about those two lists? Here's the conclusion to the whole passage of Scripture. It comes down like this in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have made a choice. I'm, I'm editing a little. They have crucified. They have nailed the passions and the desires and the sinful nature, the way the car wants to go, some of the ways that I would do if I were just doing it on my own. I've nailed that to the cross and I've crucified them there. Since now I, I say I want to live by the Spirit. And therefore, he says, follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. That's the message of Galatians chapter 5. We're living by the Spirit, so let us follow the Spirit's leading. Are you ready to follow the Spirit's leading in your life? It's different than saying, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to ask God to bless it. It's different than saying, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and I'm going to call it Christian because I define what Christian is. It means, it means we say, I'm going to try to let every part of my life be led by the Spirit. That's humbling, isn't it? It's overwhelming. None of us is up to the task, but the Spirit of God will help us. Are you ready to dive in? First, I want to share a few learnings from this. Second, I want to just look more closely at the list and, and start with the first one on the, on the item, and then we'll just talk very briefly about what it might mean to live this out, some practical applications, okay? So some learnings where we'll spend most of our time, then we'll look at the list, and especially the first item on the list, and then just what does it mean to live this out as a result. First, a few lessons, a few learnings. Are you ready? Here we go. Number one thing that I think when I read that list and I look at that description of the life in Christ that he describes for us and I look at my life, I think, oh my, we have a problem. 
When I look around at my life, when I look at Christianity in America and what passes for it, I'm not trying to be a doomsday or a critic or some negative person, but I, I think we've got to be honest, friends, and just say, we've got a problem. If that's what it looks like to be like Jesus. Jesus says you can always tell what kind of plant it is by looking at its fruit, and the Spirit of Christ is apparently not what's always driving us or controlling us or leading us because that's not always the fruit that comes out of our lives. Christians, entire churches, and the whole American Christian movement is not always known by that kind of fruit. We we have a problem. The most important question is is not, are you bearing fruit? Because everyone's bearing fruit. The question is, what kind of fruit, right? What kind of fruit are you bearing? Because we're all full of something. A lot of people say, well, I'm a Christian. And by that, they mean I believe in God. You know, I believe in life after death, and I believe in going to heaven. I believe in forgiveness of sins. That's good. But the real test is the fruit, like what happens in everyday life. Are you any different because the Spirit is in you? The reason God wants to bear fruit through your life is not just for your own benefit, but for his mission in the world. He's busy trying to send a message to the whole world, and he's called us as his people to demonstrate what God's character looks like. And you can't show God's character until you have God's fruit coming out of your life, and you can't manufacture that or fake it. So if we just continue to talk to the world about how great and wonderful God is, but the fruit of that God inside of us isn't there, the words just sound empty and hollow and we lack credibility. And I think this is one of the reasons a lot of people are kind of turned off. They never get a chance to really see Jesus sometimes. They just get turned off by some Christians. I know it's an old thing to say the church is a bunch of hypocrites, but I think we do got to take it seriously. Jesus says... They'll be known by their fruits. So I think we have a problem. We've got to acknowledge it. I always think of Abraham Lincoln. He said, all right, let's say we have a dog, and if we call the tail a leg, how many legs does the dog have? And someone says, five. And he says, no, because simply calling the tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. And we've got to be careful, don't we, that We're not the kind of Christians that are just kind of calling a tail a leg. We've got to be honest and admit that in our own lives, maybe even in a broader sense, we've got to be humbled by God and admit that calling ourselves a Christian when Jesus says, well, it doesn't matter what you call it, you're known by your fruits. And it means we've got some growing to do. We've got some growing to do. You know, our culture around us shapes us and molds us and pushes us, doesn't it? Like it kind of has an influencing nature to it. The Bible calls that the spirit of the age. And you can all feel it, right? When you're, when you're someplace, like when I, when I went uh, uh, on this vacation, we were in the ocean, and you, you think you can just stand there, but you can't because the waves come and the undertow, and you've got to move with it. You're going to move with it one way or the other. You're either going to just kind of hold your ground, but it's going to knock you down, or you're going to end up getting carried down. That's the way culture works. It moves us. And Paul says earlier, he says, 
you know what? Sometimes you've got to just really find ways to fit into the culture and, and learn the culture and bring the good news of Jesus to the culture, like be in the world. But then uh, he's also saying here, we've got to be careful that we don't let the culture swallow us up and move us. I saw the powerful shaping influence in Spain, um, not just in history, but in everyday things. So instead of hello, you know what everybody says there? What do they say? Yeah, come on. Hola. Everybody say it with me. Hola. Guess what I said every time I saw someone after a while? I said, hola, right? It, it, when, when, there, they don't say thank you. What do they say? They say, gracias. What do you think I said every time I wanted to say thank you? I said, gracias, gracias, right? Everyone there eats late at night, okay? The, the restaurants don't even open until 8 o'clock sometimes, right? You go to restaurants. So I normally eat earlier. So it's healthier. It's better. And I'm used to that, whatever. Well, guess, so guess what? When I ate meals there, I ate at night. I ate at 8 or 9 times. One time we didn't finish dinner until midnight, Okay, uh, um, so another time we were looking out at this overlook, and I'm looking down at this beach, and there comes this guy out of the water. And I'm thinking I'm going to take a picture, and then I notice he look at this little figure, and he's a nudie. He's not wearing any clothes. So guess what I did when I went swimming? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's that's where I drew the line. Okay, so that's where it's like, okay, this is a cultural piece. I'm not, and that's that's kind of actually Paul's point here, is that there are things that you're going to do. They're going to say, you know, we've just got to we got to figure out how to not be weird and fit in. But there's other times when you got to figure out. Wait a second, this feels like it might cross a line, and 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 so this is where we've got to realize we've got a problem, because the spirit of our day is shaping us so much. And I wonder sometimes if we're really just bearing fruit that looks sort of like the tree of our culture or if we're really bearing the fruit of the Spirit of God or some other spirit. You remember the old question, if it was illegal. Paul says there's no law against any of the fruit of the Spirit. Let's say, let's say there was a law against all of them and someone arrested you. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Second learning is, I think Paul wants us to know that the Christian life ain't easy. The Christian life ain't always easy. Sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes it's a battle. And anytime we tell someone, hey, come to Jesus, everything's going to be great. It's all downhill from here. We do a great disservice. It's like, it's like, how can you look at the life of Jesus and his suffering and what he went through? And then he says, follow me, take up your cross. How can we ever make out the world to be like somehow if you follow Jesus, it's just nothing but blessings and, 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 and rainbows. That's, that's not accurate. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that's true. It's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's fulfilling, it's the best life, but it isn't always easy. And Paul seems to want to say there's a battle going on, and it's not just a battle out there. We always want to fight the battle with the culture. Let's go beat them up and win. Let's get back in power. You know where Paul says the battle is? Inside you and inside me. He himself says, I got a battle going on. Romans 7, he says, sometimes I want to do the right thing and I don't. And then I don't want to do that thing and I do. And he's the most experienced veteran Christian in the world and he struggled. Don't you feel a little better about yourself? Our natural desires, the I want, what I want, and the spirit are in direct opposition. So there's a battle and it's hard to hold on to the wheel sometimes. Jesus says, don't quit. I always remember this old poem. It goes like this. Two natures beat within my breast. One is foul and one is blessed. One I love, one I hate. But it's the one I feed that will dominate. Right? There's a battle. There's a struggle. It's more than do's and don'ts, friends. Walking with Jesus changes the way you think 
and feel. If you try to just fight your desires on your own, the Bible promises you will lose. You will lose. It's not, the goal is not in the Christian life to stop sinning first and then get to the spirit, go get some spirit. No, it's the other way around. You welcome the spirit, and as we get more full of it, our desires will shrink and his power will grow in us to overcome some of the desires that lead us off track. Third, I think this scripture helps us see that if we're going to have the fruit of the Spirit in our life, it's going to take a gift from God and a lot of grit from us. There's gift and there's grit. It's both a free gift and it's going to take our work. The whole, fr- the whole analogy is from horticulture and farming, and every farmer knows this. Every gardener in the house knows what I'm talking about, right? Like, like there's always more work to do. There's weeding and all that stuff that's got to be done. But you also realize at the end of the day, you don't really control any of it. You don't control the rain, the sun, or how the thing even grows. It's, that part's all gift. In fact, you're counting on God to do that. And that's how it is with the spirit of, of these things in your life. It's grace. It's a gift, but also there's work. It's like the old farmer said, you know what? I, I, I pray like everything depends on God. But any farmer who only does that is not going to have much to produce. He says, then I go to work like it all depends on me. And somehow it works out. And this is how I would give you advice. If you want to become a person who's going someplace different in your life, you've got to trust that God's going to give you the gift of his spirit and give you the gift of these fruit, but you've got to work at it. Which leads to another learning. That this is not so much prescription, like a command, like a, here's a prescription he writes out and says, now go get some love and joy and peace and patience in your life. No, it's a description of what happens when you invite Jesus in. You see the difference in prescription and description? Prescription is a list of commands. He's not saying, now go and try to staple on some love and joy and peace in your life. That's a prescription to go try to do something like that. He's saying, no, walk by the Spirit. Invite more of God in. Try to get closer to Jesus with the real plant. You don't, you don't grow the fruit by focusing on the fruit. The fruit results when you have good roots and, that are deep and healthy, and the same is true in our spiritual lives. You don't just go staple on oranges to a dead orange tree and say, well, it's fruitful now. If you drove by that orange tree, it might look that way from a distance, but it doesn't make it a healthy tree. In the same way, you don't grow in Christ-likeness by trying to add some love, joy, peace, and patience to your life. You do it by just driving your roots down. The, the description is like when you come to Jesus and just try to say, Jesus, I want to live in your awareness every day. I want to invite your spirit. I'm going to try to make my decision right now in this moment. It might be a little one. I'm going to try to say, what would God want me to do? You just invited the spirit into your life. And that next step, you're going to have some fruit in your life. So that fruit's going to look like that list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's a description. Walking in the Spirit is the way to avoid the bad list. You don't avoid the bad list in order to get the Spirit in your life. You see the difference? Next, we also can learn that the fruit is a package deal. It's a package deal. You notice it's referred to by Paul as the fruit of the Spirit. Anybody notice that? It's not the fruits of the Spirit. Now, he lists nine things, and then he calls them fruit. Do you, was he mistaken? Did he, was he confused? Is he grammatically uh, unsure of himself? What's going on there? Well, I think this. It's a package deal. He's pointing out that these are not separate virtues. 
that you kind of separate and put into your life one at a time. If Jesus is alive in your heart and you're trying to say, come inside of me, Holy Spirit, they will all start to appear. Where the Spirit truly is, they're all there. We could talk a little bit for a moment about the difference between personality types and true gifts of the Spirit. We've got to be sure we don't ever confuse the two. If a person is just kind of slow moving, you know, they just don't get rattled by stuff, by nature, they're kind of stoic, we might say, oh, what a patient person. But if they don't have any joy or kindness, it's probably not the fruit of the Spirit, it's just their personality. These are, this is a package deal. So we want all of it, not like pick and choose. Where Jesus is, the fruits all grow as one. I've heard it said, you're only as mature as your most immature fruit. That gets me to thinking. If you see an area of your life where you don't have that particular fruit listed, then maybe that's where we need to do a better job of welcoming Christ and his spirit in. Next, another learning is that this is the way to true freedom. Remember, that was Paul's point, and I don't think there's any concept in our culture today we need a better handle on than understanding what real freedom is because this book could have been written for Americans today. We think freedom is doing whatever you want. Anybody who tells me, I don't like a big man in the sky telling me what to do, I don't like, I, if it feels good, do it. And this is why we have the kinds of results we do in our society. It feels like gratifying the sinful nature and the pursuing the flesh and letting our anger vent and doing what you need to do for you, 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 you is the best, freest way to be. It's just that. No one ever stops to really pay attention to the fact that when you let your hands off the wheel, we always end up in the ditch. Why doesn't anybody point this out? Modern day people say, I'm free to indulge my desires. And Paul says that's exactly the opposite. Those desires are going to lead you into a kind of prison that you are not going to be able to get out of on your own strength. Instead, when you surrender your desires to Jesus, his spirit will lead you into what is real freedom and real life, what culture calls freedom. The Bible calls captivity. And what the culture calls captivity, oh, why would I ever want to say no to whatever I want to do? The Bible says this is the path to real freedom. Do you trust Jesus enough to move away from what your natural desires are? Because you'll only grab that wheel if you trust him. The last thing I'll share here on our learning is this that everybody really wants this. Everybody does. We live in a caustic, divided, nasty, mean, angry, polarized society right now with so much sorrow and hurt on every side. It's leading to a lot of despair and hopelessness. Euphoria is the name of a show about a troubled 17-year-old. I haven't seen the show, but I read about it. It's a girl named Rue, and she's a drug addict fresh from rehab with no desires of staying clean. Her friends are a transgender girl searching for where she belongs, and a friend, Nate, whose anger issues mask his own insecurities, and Chris is a football star who finds the adjustment going to college from high school really a lot tougher than he thought, and he's spiraling in his direction and hope he doesn't have any boundaries or gauge in his life. Casey's he has a sexual history that's haunting her because she's pursued freedom in the past, and now it's haunting her, and Kat is a body-conscious teen exploring her sexuality, and it's this story about these friends rambling sort of aimlessly and hopelessly through life through these substance-enhanced parties and anxiety 
anxiety-ridden day-to-day life with mental health challenges and all of it as they struggle just without direction or sense or future or place to find hope. And it's a snapshot. A lot of people say, don't watch it because it's too dark. Well, the truth is, you read the newspaper and it's the same stuff. And Paul says, you can have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. So those are some of the learnings. And the top of the list is love. Love. Jesus said, when you produce, in John 15, he says, when you produce much fruit, that's how you become a disciple. And this brings great glory, he says, and then he points out love. I have loved you even as the Father loved me and remain in my love. You see the link there? God is love. He loved the Son. The Son loves us. And now you can be filled with that same love. And that's, in a nutshell, where we're talking about it. That's what Galatians 5 says. He says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So love is not just one of the fruit of the Spirit, y'all. It is what the fruit of the Spirit are all about. It's the big daddy. It, It sums up the Old Testament law. Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? And all the Bible, sum it up. He says, easy peasy. Love God, love your neighbor. When Paul talked about love, love is patient, love is kind, whatever, he got to the end of that list, remember? He said in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, and, the, and you, at the end, you got three that remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is? Right. Love is not just one of the list. So it's no accident that it's in this list of number one, but they're not nine separate fruit of which love is the first. It's all love, and it's embodied in Christ. And in verse 5 says, he pours that same love into our hearts, and that's the love that reflects the character of God. And the other eight virtues and behaviors are just a way to amplify and further describe this character of God and what it will look like in you. They're all just expressions of love, if you ask me. Take them together, and they show us what love looks like. Now, in our language, in English, we don't have very many ways of expressing love. We, we just have one word, and we use the same word to say brotherly love and sexual love and friendship love, and I love the Orioles, and I, I love your coat, I love pizza, I love God. We, we have one word, and we stretch it all over the place, but really we're talking about a different kind of love in the Bible here. Romans 5.8 says, God proves his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is free It's unmerited. It goes to the person that doesn't deserve it. He suffers and sacrifices to show his love. It knows no boundaries. It transcends not only time and space, but it goes to people that don't deserve it, people that the culture says don't love them. Jesus actually says you can love like that too. Love even your enemies. Philippians 2 sums it all up. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And then listen to this verse. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Don't look out only to your own interests, but also look out for the interests of others. Don't look out for... If you wanted to summarize how we could put this into action, that would be it right there. What if this week... We could focus on being other-focused. That's love. That's the Jesus kind of love. That's the million-dollar answer. The center of God's character is love. The center of our faith is love. What's it all about? Jesus says, love. 
Well, what does that look like? It looks like the Jesus kind of love. What does that look like? Other focused. He gave himself up for you while you were still sinners. You didn't deserve it. That is the picture of love. A couple days ago in Portugal, I was getting up early to read while the rest of my family likes to sleep. And I, I was reading out by this lookout. And I thought, well, that's a beautiful place. I'm going to go take a selfie. So I took a selfie. You know, and I just, I posed. I got it just right. You know, get the right smile, the right lighting. And all. I'm going to post it for you all to see. You know what I'm talking about. Get that picture just right. And I took a selfie. Well, as the morning went on, I noticed other people started waking up and coming down there by that lookout. And I got a picture of that. In fact, I think there you can, that's the lookout right there. It's a beautiful place. And everyone, everyone was coming. I looked up, and there was this old couple trying to do the selfie. They didn't know what they were doing. I was like, I, I went over there. You know what I said? I said, would you like me to take a picture? I don't know what language they spoke, but they understood that. They handed me their phone. What did I do? I took their picture. I 14 pictures. There's someone else standing right there holding me their phone. I'm like, oh, I got not mind that at all. <laughs> took their picture. I think they thought I was a professional. Worked for the park. I start taking pictures of people. I'm like, move together. Move. You're looking great. It'll be beautiful. Beautiful. I, I, I took pictures of other people for about 10 minutes. There's just a whole line. They were just like, yep, yep, handing me their phones. They're like, yep, next, next, next. But that only happened... Because I stopped thinking about my own selfie for a minute and started thinking about how I could help someone else's picture come out. And friends, that's, that's love. It's other-focused. So if you want to know how to live this, be other-focused. Let me give you four S's to close. Number one, see people. Start seeing people. That's what Jesus did. He was busy. He was busier than you. He still saw people. Who's there in front of you that you're not seeing? Can you plan to open your eyes and get off the selfie and maybe turn the lens around and focus on others a little bit this week? Who is it that you need to see? Second S is stop. Jesus was always on his way, but half his life was interruptions, and he stopped, and he paused, and he poured into people. He, 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 he was just more than proximity. It was about presence. He stopped and was present with someone. That's what the Good Samaritan story is about. The person stopped. And Jesus said, be like that guy. That's what love looks like. Who do you need to stop for that you're too busy for, that you could speak into? Rejoice when they rejoice. Weep when they weep. You can't do that stuff if you're running. We've got to stop instead of blowing by. Third is say it. Sometimes love needs words. Don't leave it unsaid. Is there someone you need to show appreciation for or a kind word, a gentle response? Or Stop for a moment and think. Instead of thinking about yourself for a moment. Let the Spirit guide your mind right now to someone this week that you might need to, to speak to or send a text to. When will you do that? Who is that? Do you have clarity on that? Don't quench the Spirit. Say it. That's how you grow the fruit of love. And then show it. Love is an action at the end. So in a marriage with your kids, as we be other-focused, and that's how we show it. When we come to worship, instead of, what, did I, what am I going to get out of this? Or I didn't get anything out of that. It's not about you. It never was. It's about God. So don't be a consumer. Be other-focused and focus on God in this moment. When you think about your stuff, it's not about you and what you can buy with it. We can protect it. But if Jesus was you and he had that money, which is his money anyway, what would he do with it? When you're choosing a career, when you're planning your next work move, instead of just like, what would I enjoy the most, or how can I make the most money? Like, how could you serve the world? How could you fulfill your mission on the planet better? As you think about your relationships, 
So think about everything that you do. The way that we live out God's love in real everyday life is not what we say. It's the fruit. Which is why we are going to close our time right now with communion together. At all of our campuses and at home, maybe you can grab something. At our campuses, you have one of these. There is no better expression of love than when Jesus went to the cross and gave himself completely other-focused, not on his own needs or desires, but upon you, on me. And in this moment, we're called to receive that love, say thank you for it, and not try to reciprocate or pay him back, but just to let that gift motivate us, be filled in us so that we can share love with someone else as well. Let it change us from the inside out. We're going to share this cup and bread together as soon as we pray, and at home you can join us as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the the call to walk by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to, to just say yes to Jesus so more of him could come inside of us. And Man, we're a long way from where we want to be, from where you want us to be. We know that, Lord, but man, we thank you for being patient with us and helping us to just take maybe one baby step today to listen to your Spirit, to focus on others, and try to think a little more about where we're going and who we're becoming. And now we thank you for this communion meal shows us love up close. Fill us with that love so we can notice and love some other people with an other focused love like Jesus. We pray in his name.